So we are in the middle of chapter 37 and the excitement from what we studied last week was incredible. Just think about how we literally pull an entire world with us in the single act of a mitzvah. And that was rejuvenating. It was energizing. It was larger than life. It was wow. And today we're going to come to concepts that are a little more sobering. So I always get a little nervous when we get to concepts like this. And then I remind myself of the joy that there is in studying the truth. Yeah, we could ignore these concepts, but we're cheating ourselves out of the most amazing experience. Like which teacher do you like better? The teacher who says, you got a 30 on your test? Wow, you're great. You're so smart. I mean, you feel like they love you, but they don't really believe in you. They don't have such high expectations. They don't think you could do it. But the teacher who says, oh, no, 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 70, that's not good enough. You, you got to do better. You need to push yourself harder. You need to study. You need to work harder. They believe in you. That gives you energy. The Alter Rebbe believes in us. He doesn't hide the truth from us. He is telling us the truth because he wants us on our own to have this relationship with Hashem. There's a story about a chassid of the Alter Rebbe who lived in the town of Amdur. That was the same city where the Alter Rebbe's colleague lived, Rabbi Chaikel of Amdur. Rabbi Chaikel of Amdur was a very passionate, inspired man. And his followers too were very passionate and inspired. And this chassid of the Alter Rebbe, this follower of the author of the Tanya, once came to the Alter Rebbe and complained. He said, when that chassid of Reb Chaim Chaiko of Amdur prays, he's burning, he's on fire. But me, in order to pray with fire, I first have to study, then I have to meditate, then I have to pull my heart into it. Not every time do I have the inspiration that my fellow chassid has, the chassid of Reb Chaikel of Amdur. And the Alter Rebbe took him very seriously and he went into a meditation. And then he looked up at his chassid and he said, when he davens, when that chassid davens, Chaikel brent in him. Chaikel is burning in him. But you, when you daven, I want you to burn with your own fire. And this is what the Alter Rebbe gives us in Tanya. Remember, we're starting the Tanya again. And he says, this is Bederach Arucha Ukitsara, the long but short way. This recalls the story from the Talmud, where Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananiah was walking to the city. And he gets to a fork in the road. And he doesn't know which way to the city. And what do you know? A little boy is sitting on a rock right at the fork. And he said, little boy, which way to the city? And he said, oh, they both go to the city. You see this road? This road is the long and short road. And this road is the short and long road. Okay, short and long. I'll take the short and long. So he gets on that short but long road. And before you know it, indeed, he's at the city. Very short. 
but he can't get into the city because the city is blocked by private orchards and vineyards. And so he has to walk back and the little boy is still sitting there. And he said, my boy, didn't you tell me that that was the short way? He said, didn't I also tell you it was the long way? And he kissed him on his head and he said, how wise are you Jewish people? Even your very young ones are so wise. And so then he took the next route, the long but short way. This one took him a longer time. But when he got there, he got there. And that's the Tanya. Tanya is integration. Tanya isn't just inspiration. It's inspiration integrated into our being through understanding and then channeling our emotions. It takes a long time. But the Altar guarantees us that when we get there, we're really going to get there. The Altar wrote a letter to his Hasidim following his release from imprisonment. This was a whole libel and it was a decree from heaven, really, from the secrets that the Altar was spreading. And he asked, he said, should I stop? And the answer was no. When you are released, you need to go out there and teach more. And he wrote a letter to his Hasidim. Starts off with the words, I have become small from all your kindnesses. And he gives a path to his chassidim, how they should to act. And three words that he uses there within this letter is bimidas emes liyakayv, with the attribute of truth of Jacob. And his grandson, his great-grandson, the Rebbe Maharash, Rebbe Shmuel of Lubavitch said, if the Alter Rebbe would have omitted those three words with the attribute of truth of Jacob, he would have had another 50,000 followers. But the Alter Rebbe demands truth. So with that in mind, we're going to remember that we're tackling concepts that might be a little more sobering than the ones we met last week. But it's because the Alter Rebbe believes in us. And he knows that each of us can be true manifestations of the divine. There's no shortcuts here. We're going to know the truth and we're going to get there. I read this amazing biography about Rabbi Steinsaltz, written by Ellie Rubin on Chabad.org. Fantastic. I think everybody should read it. It's called Marked by Fire. He says that at one point, Rabbi Steinsaltz wanted to re-articulate the Tanya in modern Hebrew using modern terminology. And he wrote to the Rebbe about that. And the Rebbe wrote back four days later, very strongly, that's not the way to do it. You can write a commentary, even a long commentary, but you can never take out the original text. Because in the end of the day, it becomes patronizing and does exactly the opposite of what you set out to do. Why did Rabbi Steinsaltz want to write this commentary on the Tanya? He wanted to make this amazing text available to everybody. But if you start re-articulating it and not giving the original text, then you say, you know what? The original text is only for an elite few. Everybody else has to read a re-articulation. No, that's not the way of the Torah. The way of the Torah is each of us has a direct relationship with Hashem and each of us deserve a primary relationship with the text and we each deserve to know the truth. So we're going to study the truth. And here we are, we're on page 8, chapter 37, and we just talked about how the entire world gets elevated in the act of a mitzvah. The things that we use, our animal soul, and everything that enabled the mitzvah along the way. 
the food, the drinks, the factories that produce the items that we used. An entire universe gets elevated in the act of the mitzvah that it powers. Now, when the whole neshama, the divine soul in all of Israel, which is divided into 600,000 particular offshoots, the standard figure for the members of the Jewish nation, all individual souls being further subdivisions of these 600,000 general souls, as will be explained further, will fulfill each individual soul thereof, of the 613 mitzvahs of the Torah. And the thought's going to continue. When all of Israel, keep all 613, all of Klippat Noga of this world is going to be elevated to holiness and it's going to be an abode for Hashem. The totality of this world is going to be elevated. Now, just look at the language here for a minute because it says, when the whole neshama will fulfill the 613 mitzvahs, but aren't we talking about the vital soul? We're talking about elevating the vital soul. Suddenly we're saying the neshama. So the Rebbe explains that the vital soul is primarily involved in mitzvahs of action, mitzvahs of speech. But there are some mitzvahs that are carried out through thought. That takes the neshama. When the neshama carries out mitzvahs through thought, it refines the animal's soul too in that way. But if we're talking about all 613, we need to employ the term neshama because not all 613 are carried out by the vital soul. Now, we're looking at this number 600,000. What is this number 600,000? This number 600,000. 600,000 are the number of Jews that left Egypt. And 600,000 represents the total number of souls in Israel. 600,000 general souls comprise the totality of the Jewish people. Now, the author is going to explain this process of elevation by keeping these 613 mitzvahs. And he starts with the 365 prohibitive mitzvahs. Shasa loisa'ase lahafrit shasa gidim shaldam nefesh hachiyunas shabaguf. When they will refrain from transgressing the 365 prohibitions to restrain the 365 blood vessels of the animal soul in the body. So how do we elevate the totality of the vital soul? First of all, there's 365 prohibitions. The Zohar explains that 365 prohibitions correspond to 365 blood vessels or veins. Now. If a person, God forbid, transgresses one of the 365 prohibitions, then their vital soul now channels energy, not from holiness or not even from klipat noga, but attaches itself to the three completely impure klipot and derives vitality from it. So a normal, healthy animal soul never gets vitality from the three impure klipot. The animal soul is of klipat noga, the rectifiable klipa. Under normal circumstances, it gets its energy from klipat noga. However, if God forbid somebody transgresses one of the 365 prohibitions, their animal soul now derives nurture from impurity. 
So the reason why we have to avoid prohibitions is because we have to detach ourselves from impurity. There's two things that happen here. These 365 list prohibitions, Rabbi Steinzel calls them a list of 365 parasites. You have to remember that Klippa only gets nurture from holiness. So God forbid a person transgresses, they're channeling holy energy to the other side. Not only do these 365 prohibitions separate man from evil, but also isolates evil to itself. So eventually it will have no source of nurture. So what are we doing here? We're avoiding all these prohibitions so as not to derive any nurture from total impurity. So that they do not draw nurture or receive vitality by means of such transgression from any one of the three completely unclean klipot. From which are derived the 365 biblical prohibitions and the rabbinical prohibitions, their offshoots. So 365 are the number of veins which we are keeping intact, not allowing to attach to the other side. The rabbinical prohibitions are not additional veins or additional prohibitions. What are the point of rabbinical prohibitions is to protect the Torah prohibitions. So those are the offshoots of the 365 veins. When the rabbi said, don't do something, they said that in order to make sure that we don't come to violate one of the Torah's prohibitions. I, I want to share this interesting insight from Rabbi Steinsaltz. And he explains that when somebody is a person of holiness, let's say, they are a source of great wealth. And God forbid, they, be, they, they are a very attractive form of nurture to the other side. The Talmud says, Whoever is greater than his fellow also has a greater evil inclination. The thing is, these 365 prohibitions, this klipa, the other side, is just a parasite, has no life of its own. And when it attaches itself to its host, it, God forbid, destroys its host and thereby also destroys itself. Because when its host is lifeless, it no longer has a source of nurture. And he quotes Kohelas, which is often quoted in Hasidus, Asher shalat ha'adam ba'adam l'ralei. When man rules over man to his own detriment. Because when the klipa attaches itself, God forbid, to a Jewish person, in the end, it turns out to be to its own detriment. Because when he ruins or destroys the person, he destroys his own source of nurture and destroys itself. And he said that in the Enlightenment movement, so many of the Jewish people were swept up into it. And he points out something so incisive, so interesting, that God forbid somebody who was raised to be a rabbi, let's say, and then got swept up in the movement. They didn't then go on to be the head of a socialist movement or an amazing poet. In the end, they just became a destroyed, confused personality. When their gifts were robbed from them, they weren't then redirected to flower in another place. 
They were robbed and they became confused. The klipa grabbed them, destroyed them, and also destroyed its own self. So very important here. The Alter Rebbe is talking about first the 365 prohibitions because elsewhere in the Hasidic discourse, he talks about preparing a palace for a human king. And he said the way to do it is, first of all, you need to clean up the filth. Then you can go ahead and arrange and decorate. You don't set up all the furniture when the place is a wreck. So here too, he first talks about the 365 prohibitions because he's saying you have to detach from all forms of unholiness. And that's how you allow the animal soul to elevate to Hashem. And we're going to talk about this more clearly because what he's saying here is not that you don't do mitzvahs if you're still doing averas, God forbid. That's not what he's saying. In another Hasidic discourse, he explains very clearly that a little bit of light chases away so much of the darkness. And if a person is caught up in darkness, keep adding in mitzvahs. And that's going to strengthen them so that they eventually are able to overpower the darkness. But right now we're talking about in a logical way. What's the logical way of doing things? First of all, detach from impurity. When God forbid somebody does an Avera, transgresses a sin, they are attaching to the three completely impure klipot. That doesn't allow for the totality of the vital soul to be elevated to Hashem. So that's first of all in the logical way. Since all that derives its vitality from the three holy unclean klipot cannot rise to holiness, were it due to transgress any prohibition and thereby cause the particular blood vessel associated with that prohibition to receive vitality from these klipot, the vitalizing soul could no longer ascend to Hashem having been tainted by the impurity of the three impure klipot. So these three impure klipot, if someone does a sin, they attach their vital soul to it and they restrict the entirety of their vital soul from ascending to Hashem. The Rebbe wrote in notes on Lessons in Tanya, as far as I understand, they weren't published yet, that it's talking about an aspect of the vital soul. So if somebody does one sin, let's say, an aspect of their vital soul is attached to the other side. And that aspect is a hindrance of allowing, it's a hindrance from allowing the totality of the animal soul to ascend completely to Hashem. Like, think about it. You have those charging stations for your robot mop or your robot vacuum. If one of those charging, how do you call it? Those charging sensors, if there's dust on them, it doesn't allow charging to happen properly. So that's what's going on here. If there's a prohibition in the way, if there's a sin in the way, it attaches the vital soul to the other side and it doesn't allow the totality of it to be raised up to Hashem. There's a story of the chassid and Sadik, the famous Rabhil of Parich, that he was so meticulous in every detail of Jewish law. And his friends were like, I mean, this is getting a bit much. You keep Jewish law properly. Why all these meticulousnesses of yours? Why all these extra stringencies that you keep? Why are you doing that? And he said, listen, do you know why I do this? I am so, so careful because I want to better understand one word of the esoteric secrets of the Torah. He was saying, I'm not OCD. 
The reason why I'm so careful is not because I'm afraid. No, no, I'm afraid. I want my soul to be so clean. So I'm so receptive and so sensitive to the divine message. God forbid a person sins, they numb themselves. Their sensitivities are dulled. That's what we're trying to avoid over here. We're trying to make sure that none of our vital soul is attached whatsoever to the other side because it doesn't allow the totality of it to be elevated to Hashem. Now, why don't we want them to be attached to these three completely unclean posts? Why can't we elevate those to Hashem? She'ein lahem la'ilam. For these klipot can never be elevated, but must be nullified and utterly destroyed. There's no way to elevate the three completely unclean pot. Well, actually, as we said, there is a way, but that's only a backwards way. There's no direct way to completely elevate the three completely unclean klipot. The only way to elevate them is by obliterating them. The expression from the Talmud is Shirasan Zaihi Takanasan. Their rectification is their shattering. Breaking them is the way to rectify them. Certain certain uh, dishes cannot be purified. Something that's made out of clay. The only way you can fix them is by breaking them. So the way to fix them is to break them. That's the way it is with the three completely impure clipot. The way to fix them is to break them. As it is written, and I shall banish the unclean spirit from the earth. And this is specifically Hashem. I shall banish the unclean spirit from the earth. This is something that Hashem has to do. Similarly, anything which derives its vitality from them can never ascend to holiness. Therefore, only the observance of all 365 prohibited prohibitions allow the entire vital soul to ascend without any part of it held back by the impurity of these klipot. So one second here. Listen to what we're saying. Our vision here is bringing Hashem down to these lowest realms. We're fulfilling Hashem's dream. We said, why did Hashem create the world? Because he wants an abode in the lower realms. How are these lower realms becoming an abode for him? Because we are using the physicality of this world. We are using the energy of our animal soul, powering mitzvahs and elevating it all to Hashem. And now we're saying, okay, so when all 600,000 souls keep all 613 mitzvahs, then it's all going to happen. Wow, that sounds a little scary. (laughs) How could it happen if we're relying on everybody to do it all? So a few things here. First of all, Nobody can keep all 613 mitzvahs, and I'll tell you why. Some of them only apply to priests. Some of them only apply to kings. Some only to men. Some only to women. Some only in the times of the Bet HaMikdash. So the Arizal explains that souls come down again and again and again so that they can keep all 613 mitzvot. Also, even though not everybody is observant, and even those people who are observant, unfortunately, sin sometimes, make mistakes. So how is this going to happen? So the Altar of writes in chapter 39 in Tanya. He says like this, 
Bevada sefer lasis chuva begilgal zet ay begilgal acher ki laidach mimenu nidach. It is certain that every Jewish, single Jewish person will ultimately repent, whether in this incarnation or another, because no one banished by him, by Hashem for their sins, will remain banished, but will ultimately repent. So everybody's going to do teshuva. And the Rambam writes in Helchai's teshuva, Ukvar hifticha taira shesayf Yisrael lases tshuva basayf galusan umiyad hein nigalen. The Torah has already promised that ultimately Israel will repent towards the end of her exile and immediately she will be redeemed. As the Torah states, there shall come a time when you will experience all these things and you will return to God your Lord. God your Lord will bring back your captivity. So everybody's going to do teshuva and teshuva can be in just a moment. We can't think of it as this so far-fetched. All 613 by all Jewish people, when is that ever going to happen? We, we have to remember that the Rambam says that a person has to wait for Mashiach every single day. And he uses such strong terms. You know what the Rambam says? The Rambam says, Anyone who does not believe in him or does not await Mashiach's coming, he denies not only the statements of the other prophets, but those of the Torah and Moshe, our teacher. That means that it has to be feasible. It has to make sense that Mashiach could come now. So if we're thinking all 613 by everybody, it seems impossible. I'll tell you why it's not impossible. Tshuva can happen in a moment. The Gemara talks about, the Talmud talks about a situation where a man betrothes a woman on a condition. You want to hear what the condition is? On the condition that I am a complete tzaddik. They get married. She's so happy. She married a complete tzaddik. Then she finds out, hey, not only is he not a complete tzaddik, but he is actually a big Russia, a terrible man, chief crook. Does she need again? He married her on the condition that he is a complete tzaddik. So does she need a get? Because he's not a complete tzaddik and he's a complete Russia. And the answer is yes, she needs a get. Do you know why? Shema hear her tshuva belibai. Maybe he had thoughts of repentance in his heart. That means that if he had thoughts of repentance, it's feasible that for those moments, he was a complete tzaddik. We can all truly return to Hashem in a moment. The Talmud tells the story of Elazar ben Dordaya. Elazar ben Dordaya was a very corrupt man. The Talmud says that he never met a harlot without engaging in her services. And he once crossed seven rivers to meet a woman like that. And he paid her an exorbitant amount of money. And she said to him, she blew and she said, just like this wind will never come back. You will never be able to do teshuva. And that hit him. I thought, oh my goodness, I can never do teshuva. So he started to call out to different forces in nature. He said, mountains and hills, pray for me. And they said, how can we pray for you? We have to pray for ourselves. We need mercy ourselves. And he called to the, to the sun, to all different forces of nature. And each of them said, we can't pray for you. Sorry, we've got to pray for ourselves. And he said, Im Cain, if that's the case, then the matter depends entirely upon me. 
And he sat down and he put his head between his knees and he cried and he cried and he cried in Teshuvah. So much did he cry that he actually died. And when his soul left his body and came up to Shemayim, they said, make way for Rabbi Elazar ben Dordiah. Rabbi Elazar ben Dordiah? Do you know what kind of life he lived? But in one moment, he did Teshuvah. When Rabbi Hodahan Nasi heard this story, he cried. And he said, There is somebody who acquires his world in one moment. Sha'a, moment, doesn't just mean a span of time. It also means twist or a turn. Like the Torah says, Vayisha Hashem El Hevel. Hashem turned towards Hevel. There is somebody who acquires the next world in one wrenching twist. One moment of regret. He truly regretted in all his heart. He was Rabbi Elazar ben Dordiah. He changed its entire destiny around in that one moment. And I once heard an amazing interpretation. Why did Rebbe cry? Why was Judah the prince crying when he heard that he did Teshuvah in one moment? He should be happy for him. Be happy. Look at this man in one moment. He turned everything around. He did Teshuvah. He went from being complete Russia to a total tzaddik. But the reason why he cried was because he said, this is the way he died. It didn't have to be this way. If he left his life with that kind of awareness, he could have transformed not just himself, but the entire world. That atomic moment could have transformed all of destiny. So tshuva could really be a momentary experience, turning our heart around and truly connecting to Hashem. And it's not far-fetched that each of us is going to do tshuva and all the Jewish people are going to do tshuva in one moment and we're going to be redeemed from this exile. Should happen right now. Amen. Okay, so now getting back to where we were. We just talked about why to avoid those 365 prohibitions. And it was so that we do not attach ourselves whatsoever to the other side. Because God forbid, it holds our soul back from being elevated totally to Hashem. Now, let's look at the reason to keep the 248 positive mitzvahs. Ramach mitzvahs ase lahamshich or ain seif baruchu lamata. When furthermore, every individual will fulfill also the 248 positive commandments, thereby drawing down the blessed Ein Sof light below. And that's what a mitzvah is. Our Chachamim explain that mitzvah is from the terminology Tzavza V'chibor, connection. A mitzvah is about connecting our soul to Hashem. To elevate to him and to bind and unite with him the entire vital soul, which is in the 248 limbs of the body in perfect unity, such as the effect of a mitzvah in uniting the vital animal soul with God so that they become actually one with him. So this is the purpose of the 248 positive mitzvahs, to bind the entirety of the vital soul, which is in the 248 limbs of the body. And Hasidic scholars point out that the Alter Rebbe uses three terms here. 
He says, to elevate to him. And to bind, and to unite with him. And these are three levels of connection, one above the other, that happen. First is, to elevate. This is a person doing a mitzvah, elevates his vital soul to Hashem. But there's no reassurance and no guarantee that it won't fall back down again. And there's a higher level, powered by a higher level of awareness and commitment. And that's ulakasher, and to bind. He binds his soul to Hashem so that it should not detach. But even so, these are two things connecting with each other in a knot. Bind. But the third level is and to unite with him. Now there's no two separate entities. At this point, the vital soul becomes one with Hashem. It itself manifests the divine. This is the highest level. So this is what is affected in a mitzvah. We do a mitzvah, we elevate our animal soul, elevating the life energy of the 248 limbs of the body. Our sages teach us in the Talmud that 248 Positive mitzvahs correspond to the 248 limbs of the body. That means each and every limb gets its life energy, is connected to one of the mitzvahs. And when we do the mitzvah that's connected with that limb, the life energy of that limb is connected to Hashem. Allah. <clears throat> In accordance with his will, that there be an abode for him in the lower realms. And so great is this unity that they, the limbs of the body, with the vitality of the animal soul invested in them, become a chariot for God, as, as were the patriarchs, whose every limb was in total submission to the divine will. Wherefore, they are designated as God's chariots. And so will every Jew become a chariot by performing the mitzvot. So, wow. Let's look at this ama- amazing idea. 248 mitzvot correspond to the 248 limbs. A person does all 248 mitzvot. What happens is they elevate the totality of their life energy to Hashem. That means the life energy in each of his 248 limbs becomes united with Hashem. And his limbs become as a chariot for Hashem. As were our patriarchs. So let's look at this idea. In Parshas Lech Lecha, the Torah tells us, Vayal Elohim me'al Avraham. And Hashem got up from above Avraham. And our sages say, this indicates that our patriarchs truly were the chariot of Hashem. What is a chariot? A chariot is something that has no will of its own. A chariot is only there to serve its rider, goes wherever the rider wants to go. Our patriarchs were so totally devoted to Hashem that they were his chariot. Let's look at the chariot as it is in the supernal realms. Supernal realms, Hashem's throne, as indicated in the prophecy of Yechezkel, is upheld by these chayot ofanei hakodesh, these angels, these angels that carry the throne. 
are called his chariot. They are the ones who carry and convey the divine manifestation. In this world, our patriarchs are the chariot. They are the ones who uphold the throne. Susan actually gave me this incredible expression when we learned this in chapter 18. She called the, the patriarchs, she said they are the conveyor of the divine idea. So when you look at one of the patriarchs, and similarly, when you look at a holy person, you know that there is a God. Looking at them makes you aware of the divine. Look at Avraham Avinu. He spread the divine message. But it's not just spreading the divine message. Our patriarchs lived in total devotion to Hashem, that never did they lose focus that all they're here for is to serve him and to manifest him. Never in their life did any of their limbs serve any other purpose besides channeling the divine. One of the Hasidic masters talks about the story of the Akedah, the binding of Isaac. So Avram Avinu is commanded by Hashem to go sacrifice his son Yitzchak. He's about to slaughter him. And what does the Torah say? The Torah says, Vayishlach Avraham And Avraham sent his hand. Sent his hand? Who sends their hand? Your hand just goes. You want to do something? Your hand just goes. You don't send your hand. So they explain like this. Avraham's body was so in sync with the divine will that it never acted against Hashem. Did Hashem really want Avraham to slaughter Yitzchak? No. So his body didn't naturally and automatically move to take that slaughtering knife. But Hashem said slaughter Yitzchak. So he had to send his hand against its nature. And in fact, he didn't end up slaughtering him because it was not the divine will. But this is, conveys the idea that our patriarchs were the chariot. They had no will of their own. Their whole identity was to take the rider wherever the rider wants to go. And guess what? Not exactly like our patriarchs, but similar to our patriarchs. When we fulfill all 248 positive mitzvahs, we unite the life energy of our, all our 248 limbs to Hashem, and our limbs become to Hashem like a chariot to the divine just like the patriarchs. This is the function of the 248 positive mitzvahs. Okay, so let me wrap up what we said until now. And that is like this. Yes, we are elevating the entirety of the world when we do a mitzvah. But let's get more specific here. How are we doing that? First of all, let's look at the negative mitzvahs. We are avoiding all these prohibitions because we don't want to attach our animal soul to the three completely impure klipot. We don't want to attach ourselves to this impurity because that impurity can never be elevated. That impurity, God forbid, holds us back. The only way to rectify that impurity is by shattering it. So we want to stay away from 365 prohibitions to allow our animal soul to totally elevate to Hashem. And the 248 mitzvahs, those serve to elevate the totality of our animal soul to Hashem. 248 mitzvahs correspond to 248 limbs. The totality of our animal soul's energy is invested in our 248 limbs. 
and each mitzvah is connected to the life energy of one of our limbs. And every time we do a mitzvah, we unite our animal soul with Hashem and our limbs become a chariot to the divine, just like our forefathers. Now, just to contrast this with what we learned in chapter 23 for a minute, we did talk about this idea of becoming a chariot to the divine by doing a mitzvah in chapter 23. Alter said that the limb that carries out the mitzvah becomes a chariot to the divine. Somebody who's walking to do a mitzvah, at the time that he walks to do the mitzvah, his legs become a chariot to the divine. Incredible. This is a different idea here. Let's say you do a mitzvah with your hand that is connected to the vitality of the heart. When you're doing a mitzvah with your hand, your hand, because it's the one that carries out the mitzvah, like we learned in chapter 23, becomes a chariot to the divine. But something else also becomes a chariot to the divine. Since this mitzvah is connected to the heart, the life energy of the heart is being totally united with Hashem at that time, and the heart itself is becoming a chariot as well. So with this mitzvah, more than one limb is becoming a chariot. The actual limb that fulfills the mitzvah, like we learned in chapter 23, but then also the, 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 the limb that is spiritually connected to that mitzvah, it too is becoming a chariot to divine in the act of the mitzvah. So now we understand why we're keeping all 613 mitzvahs, because in this way, we are making an abode for Hashem below. In this way, we're elevating the totality of our animal soul by first removing all blockages and then connecting all of the limbs, the spiritual energy behind all the limbs with Hashem. And this creates an abode for him down below because our animal soul is of the Klippat Noga. And we are elevating its totality to Hashem. And when we do that, we are creating an abode for him down here below in these lowest realms as was his desire, the purpose in creating the world. So I'm closing class for today and I'm opening up for a discussion. We need to do, we need to do also. We, we need to live it. We need to live yes. in a way that we are expressing the divine. You know, people say like, okay. you know what? Hashem knows our heart of hearts. You could say, you ask somebody, do you want to be a tzaddik? And they're going to say, they may say, I don't know, it's a little hard. That's if you look at a tzaddik in a very limited perspective. We look at a tzaddik as somebody who's the goody-goody and does everything right all the time and never makes any mistakes. <laughs> then you could they're think... They're all human beings. Yeah, then you could think, okay, maybe too hard to be a tzaddik. But let's look, look, look at a tzaddik a little differently. Let's look at a tzaddik in light of everything <laughs> we've learned. A tzaddik who is totally connected to their essence, totally in sync with the divine truth, and at every single moment manifests that truth, is always living with clarity, with purpose, with vision, and total light, constantly manifesting Hashem's truth. Who doesn't want to be a tzaddik? <laughs> hey! Mwah! Right? We all, Shabbat Shalom. We all want to be a tzaddik. And so Hashem should bless us. We should all be tzaddikim. And we should all have that chance to really manifest the truth in every aspect of our life. Tanya is integration. That's what Tanya is. Tanya is, you know, because a person can have this certain perspective of Judaism that's completely incorrect. What is the perspective? 
there's Judaism, there's those things I got to do. And then there's me, there's my private life. That's not Judaism. That's any other religion. Any other religion, they go to their house of worship, they do what they got to do, and then they go live their private life. Judaism is not like that. Judaism being the truth of existence is Hashem saying, I want to be everywhere in your life. I want there to be a dear betachtonim. I want there to be that the reality, the physicality of this world manifests me at every moment. So there's nothing that we do that's divorced from our purpose. And when we live in that way, we are manifesting that ultimate truth and we are living Mashiach and we are pulling him here. So when we go about our every single day and we smile and then we're faced with moments of frustration and we handle those frustrations in target with our mission, each of those moments become a divine moment. And each of those moments become a Mashiach moment where we're living the reality that there's nothing else besides for Hashem.